I'm Dr. Barbara Byers. Thanks for joining me again on Voices of the Soul. If you'd like um, some notes, summary notes from today's teaching, go to my website at www.barbarabyers.com. Today is our last session and I'm going to be talking about holy habits. Our soul is the land that belongs to us. And by this last chapter, I hope you recognize the inner relationship between each capacity of the soul that we've talked about. The intellectual mind, the receptive mind, the desires of the heart, the conscience, and so on. And um, as we continue to grow in the Lord, we want to grow and increase each of these capacities and mature in each of these capacities. And as we grow in His grace, the voice of our soul becomes stronger and sure. Our spiritual formation does not happen by default. There is real moral effort that we have to add to it. And so part of this is that we need to deliberately engage in holy habits, spiritual disciplines. That's a way we press on to know the Lord. It's a way we mature in our formation. Our soul then is built on His goodness and His faithfulness. We get to know Him. That's the whole point of spiritual disciplines is to get to know Him. So holy habits help us to fight entropy, help us to stay on the highway of holiness and continue to press forward. I think of disciplines as creating a space for the Lord to come and encounter us and restore us to His design. So we've spent a lot of time these these uh, videos talking about form, forming our soul, developing and constructing our soul. And while there is no methodology on our path to wholeness because we're all individuals and there's just not one way we come to the Lord, but when we engage these holy habits, they help propel us forward and um, enable that transformation. So we're to take possession of our own land, and it's not just by resisting sinful impulses, but overcoming uh, evil with real good. Holy habits help us to displace sin and evil and exchange them for what the Holy Spirit is planting in us, what he's doing and what he's developing. And as we die to self, as we let go of the imposter within, because we all have one, uh, then we can stop overcompensating, we can stop covering up, and we can stop those things that prevent us from having access to God's love. We can let go of our images of what our maturity should look like. We can let go of our ideal self. And we can embrace the one who gives his spirit without measure. That's what John 3 says. So the Lord has called us together to be his radiant church. That's Ephesians 5.27. The Greek word for radiant is endoxos, meaning honorable esteemed, splendid, and infused with glory. Do you see yourself in this way? I wonder. Uh, it's how he sees us. And so we're not going to become a radiant church. We're not going to achieve this by our striving. But we will by collaborating with him and by getting to know who we really are, by constructing his soul. And as we keep receiving his presence and his truth, we see He's making all things new, and He's making us radiant. 
our heart becomes less guarded. We become more pliable. We have the soil ready for him to plant good things. We're more vulnerable, we're trusting. And the more we receive his re the revelation of his deep love for us, the more we're overshadowed by that and the more we're drawn to him. The more we re really mature in his love, the more we're permeated by it, the more we're changed by it, and the more radiant we become as a result. So. We learn to relate to Him, not by our own striving or by our own performance, by our own accomplishments, but by His finished work on the cross. The cross is central to our existence, and the cross calls us to die to our own self and to live unto Him. And in the cross, we can bring all of our brokenness, all of our needs, all of our disappointments to Him and find new life. It all comes under the power of the cross and the power of the resurrection. Then we can take our place as co-heirs with Him, reigning, for He has given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. Uh, Second Peter, we have everything we need and we have every promise that's already ours. We have all the resources we need. And our true self emerges more and more. So as we receive and continue to receive healing in our soul, we partner with Him in His formation. And these holy habits help to fortify that. There's no formula, but we do know that if we will provide the conditions that will help uh, reinforce what's going on, then the Lord steps into that. For instance, you know, just in the natural, if you provide an atmosphere of Cheetos and Dr. Pepper, a lot of the times you're not gonna be very healthy. But if you provide an atmosphere of shopping at Whole Foods and eating nutritious plant-based foods, your body's gonna respond very well. And we're the same way. We open the door for receptivity from God by uh, forming these holy habits. So let's just take a brief look at uh, holy habits. We have the capacity to direct our own soul. I've said that in several of the videos. We're aided by the Holy Spirit, but holy habits then, as we direct them, will propel us toward growth. By purposeful discipline, we place ourselves at God's disposal. That's the point. We are initiating this. We're intentional. We're purposeful. It's our way of seeking the Lord. When I go to sit down in the morning and have a quiet time, I'm purposeful, I'm intentional, and I'm expecting God to meet me there. I may not always have a feeling of His presence. Like this morning, I walked in and I did. I had just a wonderful, warm feeling of the Lord's waiting and His just, I just felt a, a, a mercy and a grace over me. I didn't feel very good physically and I just stepped into the room and there was a mercy and a grace waiting and it was it was very sweet. But I don't always expect that. I've developed a sense of His presence and sometimes I feel it and sometimes I don't, but I trust Him and I create that space. So we're gonna have opposition from the enemy in this. We're gonna have attacks. He's gonna to try to seduce us and scheme and keep us from our holy habits, but we have to resist that because if we want vibrant growth, we'll have to <clears throat> resist the enemy and submit ourselves to the Lord. 
the enemy knows that, that our habits are key to our formation. And so he's gonna keep us bound any way he can keep us bound. Ben Fike wrote, when there is balance in the disciplines and in their purpose, there is a beauty in our lives that can hardly be compared to any other experience. Disciplines take us to the hidden place where we find the gifts of the Holy Spirit, which is our treasure. So he's talking about finding a rhythm in our life, really, where there is constancy and there is balance and there is a something that we're leaning into that we recognize I'm gonna be grounded in this. It's gonna secure my walk in the Lord. It's essential underpinnings to our formation. So I'd like to just mention three books if you're interested, I hope you're interested in reading more about this and I'll describe them very briefly. One is Pete Scazzaro's book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. He talks about these are the disciplines he talks about in his book. Scripture, solitude, silence, study, daily office, Sabbath, simplicity, play and recreation, service and mission, care for the body, emotionally healthy uh, journal writing, family, community companions, local church, and small group attendance. So he frames them in that way. It's a very good book. Another book is Dallas Willard's book, The Spirit of Disciplines, and he breaks it down into two categories, and then he has 15 disciplines. So the two categories are abstinence and engagement. Um, the disciplines of abstinence are solitude, silence, fasting, frugality, chastity, secrecy, and sacrifice. And the uh, disciplines of engagement are study, worship, celebration, prayer, service, fellowship, confession, and submission. So it's a different way of framing it. And then the last book I want to mention is Richard Foster, Celebration of Disciplines. And he breaks it down into three categories and 12 disciplines. The inward disciplines of meditation, prayer, fasting, and study the outward disciplines of simplicity, solitude, submission, and service, and the corporate disciplines of confession, worship, guidance, and celebration. I don't have time in this uh, short video to cover all of them, so I'm just gonna mention a few, and then the last one that I mention, I'm going to really focus in on, which is practicing the presence of the Lord. So first, I wanna mention meditation. In Hebrew, to meditate means to muse, to ponder, to reflect, to consider. Meditation for the Christian is an attentive focus on the Lord and on the light of His Word. Um, we do this because we're wanting to give Him an opportunity to really penetrate our mind, our desires, our thoughts, our affections, our emotions, as we contemplate on the living Word. And this involves silence, waiting, centering on Him, using our mind and our receptive heart. In Deuteronomy 11:18, which is the book of the law, the Lord commanded, you shall impress these words of mine on your heart and your soul. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead, the mind. I remember when I was a child, um, I used to churn butter with my grandmother. I loved it. 
There's nothing quite like real farm milk and butter. And when um, when we would get the butter and, and scoop it out, we would put it in my great-grandmother's butter dish. And it was a mold. And the mold had an imprint, had a design on the imprint. And that's what happens when we meditate on the, on the word. It will mold us, it will imprint us, it will leave that imprint, it will impress our soul. And that's what we wanna do. And we can take a particular passage of scripture, like we can take Galatians 5 in the fruit of the spirit, and we can meditate on a particular fruit or all the fruits of the spirit, or we can take a particular character quality of God and meditate on that. We can take a chapter of scripture and meditate over a period of time on that. We make room to do this because it's a greater revelation of the Lord. We wanna to get to know Him. And in getting to know Him, we get His direction, and instruction, and wisdom, and all the good things, but it points us to Him, and that's why we're doing it. And when we're faithful to meditate on the Word, during difficult times, during times of suffering and difficulty and temptation, the word will come back to us. It's what Jesus used in the wilderness. Um, when tests come, the more prepared we are to persevere if, we've had, if we have meditated on the word, if it dwells richly among us, as Colossians says. We wanna soak our stories in his redemption. We wanna meditate on the word. We want our memories encoded with his word. And when we take in what the Lord is saying to us, we find his words really do replenish our soul. They really do make us wise. They really do, as Psalm 19 says, rejoice our heart, enlighten us, warn us, and promise great reward. I just love the word of the Lord. Our heart then begins to have a memory of these things, and that secures us deeply to the one we love. And um, it particularly imprints on us when we take the word in during, during our suffering. Dr. Norm Wright is a psychologist who specializes in grief and trauma, and he suggests taking one chapter of scripture and reading it aloud every day for a month to change our thinking patterns. I think that's a very good idea. All right, meditation. What about prayer? Goodness, how many books have been great books out there written about prayer, and I'm only going to mention it, but it is a holy habit and a necessary habit, and it's so much more than that. But it should be our heart's delight to take everything to the Lord and to spend time in His presence. We need to learn to pray confidently because He says we can come with bold confidence right into His throne room of grace. We pray out of our true identity, who we are in Christ. So one of the things that I encourage you to pray often is the Lord's Prayer. There's so much in that about temptation and um, you know our needs being met and engaging God as Father um, and so many other passages of Scripture that are just wonderful passages to pray. Just look at Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, and Philippians. Um, when we learn the discipline of prayer, then we're not so much led by our feelings. We're led by this sure knowledge, I have this to bring to my Father. So Agnes Sanford suggests four simple steps in doing this that I really like. 
First step is be still and know. So we make contact with the Lord. We engage him. We're childlike in our faith and trust. Second is we pray, Lord, increase in me your life-giving power. Third thing is we believe his power within us. We accept it with faith and gratefulness. And the fourth thing is we observe God at work by deciding on something tangible to ask and trust him for. All right, that was brief. So next, silence and solitude. We have often filled our lives with so much noise. We are uncomfortable with silence and we don't know how to be still. We don't know how to practice solitude. Paul Turnier said, modern people lack silence. The unusual isolation that came with the COVID pandemic really underscored, I think, uh, as a people, our lack of this discipline of being able to maintain sol solitude and silence without a great amount of anxiety. We are overly dependent on a very active life. And sometimes we need to pull in that overactivity and make deliberate choices to reduce it so we can have more solitude and silence in our life. Um, Matthew talks about uh, shutting the door, going in your prayer closet and shutting the door. And we need to learn to do that. Now silence isn't the same as solitude, but it's certainly a close companion. As we sit in the quiet, we can acknowledge the Lord's presence. Mott said, it takes time to receive deep impressions from the Lord. I am making a plea for deliberation in our spiritual exercises as contrasted with haste. It is to spend enough time to be quiet and to have actual communication with God and actual appropriation of His truth. So we must learn this. We must learn to be silent. We must learn to sit and wait. And um, there, there are some ways that, some things, tools we can use to do this. So just sort of practical suggestions is keep a simple journal. Just, just a notebook will do. Keep a pen and a journal. Uh, another is read God's word every day, every day with an open heart just to see what, what does he illuminate? What jumps off the pages for you? Take walks and look at the beauty of nature. Sit in a quiet place and tell the Lord you love him. And then let your soul just be quiet and take in his love. Invite him to sit with you. Sometimes I just invite the Father to sit with me. Take a silent spiritual retreat. Devote one day a week to rest and add a little more time within that day for quiet, for silence, and for solitude. I want to mention also gratitude. Oh, God does miracles for a grateful heart. When we choose to drop the negative, when we choose to drop the blaming and complaining and really cultivate a grateful heart, we are so much more open to receive from Him Practicing gratitude is simply a habit. Being thankful for every little thing. Refusing to grumble when things don't go in our way. It's a great antidote for pride and entitlement. And it's not a matter of whether or not we like what's happening. It's a matter 
of saying, even if things are beyond my control, I will yet praise you. I will be grateful. I will learn to give thanks. Um, we trust Him. It's an expression of trust when we give thanks in everything, which as we're commanded to do, give thanks in everything. The Benedictines say, those who participate in this life with an attitude of thanksgiving will receive its full promise. There's a reward for, for a grateful heart. And it, it is a holy, it's a holy discipline to give thanks. Jesus, that's one of the last things he did. He was facing death and on that last night, it said he broke bread and gave thanks. It was a holy habit. Agony awaited him and he gave thanks, but resurrection awaited him too. All right, another habit is forgiveness. Yep, forgiveness is a habit. We need to learn to develop it as a habit. It's right there in the Lord's Prayer. Daily forgiveness toward others and toward ourselves is a choice, and we can develop that choice into a habit, keeping no record of offenses. When we do this quickly, when we learn to do it as a habit, what we find is things don't lodge in our heart. Bitterness doesn't have a chance to develop. It's actually a discipline that keeps our heart innocent. It keeps us free and it teaches us to give. It teaches us to bless the one who's offended us and pray for them. And it's, it's a real key to a victorious Christian life. The next one I wanna mention is endurance. Um, not a word we <laughs> like to talk about sometimes, but enduring faith really does develop character. Uh, and then Jesus is reflected both in our faith and in our endurance. It's our declaration, you're worthy. You're worthy for me to keep on keeping on. You're worthy for me to stay in this and keep trusting you. Perseverance will take us through drought and dryness and it will just, if we'll just keep on, sometimes that's all it takes is just keeping on because it's necessary but we're going to experience the goodness of the Lord. Um, and we need the patience to endure. And we need to be patient with ourselves too, because it takes time and it takes effort to mature in the Lord. It takes time and effort for spiritual formation and for new virtues to be established in us. So as we keep on the path of these habits, he says that we're gonna shine brighter and brighter into the fullness of that day. The last thing I want to talk about, the last habit, is practicing the presence. And this, I've, I've mentioned scattered throughout these videos, so I want to take a little concentrated time now here at the end of our last video to talk about it. In the very first chapter, I quoted Leanne Payne. The gifts of this presence, the power to act, to say, to know, is ours. And we become the masterpiece of harmony God intended us to be. In union and communion with Him, our once fragmented souls are drawn together in one harmonious whole. So it is by understanding and practicing the real presence of the Lord that we are drawn together into a whole and that we begin to thrive. We are literally infused by His life, by His real presence. He abides in us 
and we with him. And we live on this supernatural plane. We live naturally, but we live on this supernatural plane. We're seated with Christ in heavenly places. We're in him. And as we learn to draw on his presence and practice his presence, even the ordinary things become infused and become changed and become brightened by the, by the extraordinary, by the supernatural. We become changed, we become brightened, we become more wise and confident and joyful and productive. R.A. Torrey, theologian, wrote, just stop and think what it means to have the inmost life of that eternal being whom we call God dwelling in a personal way in you. How solemn and how awful and yet unspeakably glorious life becomes when we realize this. When we realize this, when we really believe that we're receiving from him this beautiful indwelling life, it changes everything. We realize we can submit all the faculties of our soul to him, all that's within us, all of the movements of our soul toward God. And then we can open our soul, we can open every part of us so that he can radiate up through every part of us because he lives within us. We allow him to possess us. We yield to him as we practice his presence and then more of him is seen in us and he takes over more and more and more territory in our heart. If we're ignorant of this, if we're unfamiliar with his presence, we're gonna live without his empowering, without his transformation. F.B. Meyer wrote, he dwells so deep below the life of the body, below the life of the soul where thought and feeling, judgment and imagination, hope and love, resolution and will, memory, the, perfect, the perpetual ebb and flow of the tides of self-consciousness there through the Holy Spirit, Christ dwells closely shrouded from, from the view of man. And that really takes you into the mystery of it, doesn't it? His presence is the unseen real. And the more we recognize the real of it, though unseen, the more we practice it, the more we're gonna avail ourselves of the riches of Christ and the more we're gonna come alive in his love. F.B. Meyer continued, all is in Christ. And if Christ is in us, all is ours also. Oh, that we would dare to believe it and draw on it, letting down the pitcher of faith into the deep well of Christ's indwelling, opened within us by the Holy Ghost. So here's what he suggests to do this as a, as a daily discipline. Be still each day for a short time, sitting before God in meditation. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you the truth of Christ's indwelling. I really wanna encourage you to do this. Sit before the Lord and say, show me the truth that you really do indwell me, that you abide in me and I in you. Ask God to be pleased to make known to you what is the riches of the glory of this mystery. We can do that, we can ask greatly of the Lord. So learning to listen to God, learning to abide in His presence, those are the holy habits, the spiritual disciplines that allow us to come alive in His love every day. Practicing His presence is about engaging His intimacy. It's about the life flowing from His heart to ours and what's flowing back from our heart to His. Our transformation really does hinge on this. 
Andrew Murray wrote of the secret of the abiding presence. Everything depends on the consciousness through a living faith of the abiding presence of the Lord with his servants. So this really is John 15. So I'm going to read that to you in the message, John 15, 4 through 9. Live in me. Make your home in me just as I do in you. In the same way that a branch can't bear grapes by itself, but only by being joined to the vine, you can't bear fruit unless you're joined with me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. When you're joined with me and I with you, the relation intimate and organic, the harvest is sure to be abundant. Separated, you can't produce a thing. Anyone who separates from me is dead wood, gathered up and thrown on the bonfire. But if you make yourselves at home with me and my words are at home in you, you can be sure that whatever you ask will be listened to and acted upon. This is how my Father shows who he is. When you produce grapes, when you mature as my disciples. I've loved you the way my Father has loved me. Make yourselves at home in my love. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus wants us to know that we can abide and that we can make ourselves at home in his love. And he wants to be at home in us as well. That's really abiding. That's recognizing and acknowledging that I'm the branch that can't be separated from the vine. That's really the source of my life flowing into me. So my prime responsibility is not to do something for God. It's to abide in him and with him. And then the doing will come from that. He'll give me assignments and he will produce the fruits from that. So I don't have to struggle to perform out of shame and fear or some other necessity. I can rest in him because I have a position in Christ that's absolutely secure. There's already life in me supplied by the vine. And as we engage our will with this, what we're gonna notice is that it can become then a habitual response. And in that habitual response, we develop more a sense of His presence. We, we develop sort of a habitual knowing, oh, you, you are here. I don't have to worry about anything. You are here. I can have your joy and peace. You are here. I can refer that issue to you. I can ask you for wisdom. You really live in me and I can't be separated from you. And now, if, because if we don't practice the presence of the Lord, we are gonna practice the presence of something else, the old self, of worry, of complaining, of other things, and our affection and attention will, will be drawn away. So just pause a minute and just consider, what is it you mostly practice the presence of? What is it you mostly practice the presence of? The scripture says, Psalm 1611, in your presence is fullness of joy. So we are satisfied, we are peaceful, we are joyful when we abide in him. And we really can become accustomed to cultivating that and to knowing and believing his promise. I am with you always. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. It's so simple, but it's so profound. And every time we do this, every time we believe this and acknowledge this, we're participating in the eternal 
the eternal and living God. So this is about drawing close to God, but not necessarily feeling feeling that. The whole idea is another, another lives in me. This Christ lives in me, and he now has become the center of my being. And practicing his presence is simply calling that truth to mind. Father Jacques Philippe wrote, the presence of the living God is active, life-giving, healing, and sanctifying. In remaining in God's presence and letting Him act in the depths of our being, we're doing what really counts. If our prayer consists in nothing more than holding ourself before God without doing anything or thinking of anything special, without any particular feeling, but with a heartfelt attitude of availability and trusting abandonment, then we could not do any better than this. So, and if we forget, we just return to Him with simplicity and faith because abiding is the greatest reality we are ever gonna know. Christ in me, the hope of glory. And we're a people of the presence. That's what sets us apart. No other religion has a living God. Corporately and individually, we're a people of the presence that He's come to make his home in us, and this isn't a concept. This isn't conceptual. This is his real embodied presence within us. This body is a temple of his Holy Spirit. So practicing his presence is just making a habit of calling that to mind by faith. We thank him he's present, we acknowledge him, and we trust him. He's with us, within us, surrounding us, between us. Our Christian spirituality is the experience of being invaded by a supernatural presence so that we're transformed. Norman Grubb wrote that when our life is one of constant recognition of another, the whole of life is transformed. It isn't a matter of continually allowing him to come into your life because you have received him, but it's the recognition of another. Another is the person who inspires the prayers, who imparts the faith, who thinks the thoughts through our minds and expresses his compassion through our hearts and puts our bodies into action. I really like that. Then you can relax and say, this is what life is basically, another living his life in me. And this is the antidote for the self-life. Another lives his life in me. So while we're practicing his presence, we're always listening for the healing word, for the word of wisdom, for the word of instruction, for the word of affirmation. That's vital. We anticipate and we expect that we're going to hear his voice and then we ask him our questions and we cry out with our needs and our pain and and, and, and the pain of others, and we pour out our desires. He invites us to do this and welcomes it, and then we listen with childlike faith and radical obedience. So when we're centered in Him, He is within us, and we are present to Him, and He is present to us every moment, and we learn to live in the now of God. And then it, when pain does come, because it does come, we're fixed on Him, and He enters that with us. He carries the brunt of it with us. He takes the impact, and we feel the pressure, but we know He is with us, helping us. So we live from that center where His heart is within us and where we are within Him, 
and that encourages with hope in every circumstance we face. It's His presence. So I so thank you for being with me during this series, and I would like to just close with a, a simple prayer. Lord, thank you for the work you've done during uh, these 13 videos. Would you seal the healing you've brought to our heart? Would you seal the truth you've implanted in our mind about how to be transformed? Would you put in us a desire to continue to become who we really are, to continue to walk with you in ways, Lord, that invite you in for more healing? Give us obedient hearts by your grace, Lord. Give us that endurance that we're gonna cross the finish line, that we're gonna finish well, that we're gonna stay on the highway of holiness because we know you, because you live within us. Lord, we give you our surrender. We give you our devotion. We give you our affection. We love you because you first loved us. And we thank you for all that you are doing and will continue to do in us. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. Again, thanks for being with me. You can check out my blog and the notes for these, this video series on my website, www.barbarabyers.com. Thanks.